I'm not going to start with any easy questions. What would you do if you couldn't fail? I was vulnerable in the sense of I was just who I was. The, the cold exposure conditions the inside of our body to literally adapt. Whatever happens in the gut happens in the brain, and whatever happens in the brain happens in the gut. Finding the grace and the humor. Anti-aging is associated with at least an hour of deep sleep nightly. Absolutely had mentors. Absolutely 100% had coaches. 90 plus percent of the decisions that we make today actually stem from fear. Allow ourselves to have imperfection. Nothing starts without a plan. Nothing ever goes to plan. Chaga is actually the most antioxidant rich food on the planet. If we can bring a practice into our lives that helps us be more vulnerable. I'm so thrilled that this content is getting out there, that you guys are, are promoting bold and vulnerable message and, and aspirations for people because I hope that we can all really live that every day. Hey, this is Jessica. And Svetlana, and you're listening to the Bold and Vulnerable Podcast. Where we aim to inspire others to live authentically through sharing the bold and vulnerable stories of peak performers across a variety of industries. Hey guys, it's Jessica here, and you know I love my coffee. We have recently partnered with a company called La Republica Coffee. They are completely fair trade. They are non-GMO and all vegan, which you guys know I'm vegan, so I'm totally a fan. But the cool thing is that this is a mushroom coffee company. You know, sometimes people feel stuck in their coffee routine. They feel like they can't live with it. They can't live without it. Maybe coffee makes them feel overwhelmed. This coffee completely makes you feel so zen. It gives you a peace of mind and well-being and a clean energy jolt. You don't have any jitters that you get with coffee because the cordyceps really help to regulate the intake of caffeine from the coffee. It's a rich source of vitamin D, E, and many other things that help your immune function and optimal health. It's a perfect way to incorporate high beneficial superfoods into your morning routine. I love to start my morning with just a smooth cup. This morning, I was so freaking excited because I ordered my bulk order. I'm telling you, George and I were literally waiting by the door yesterday. I'm not joking. And finally, they came at like seven and we were so excited. And George and I were like, should we drink this now? <laughs> yeah, listeners, you guys are going to be so excited because you get 15% off all of your orders by using the code VULNERABLE, all caps, 15. So VULNERABLE15, all caps. We only partner with companies that we believe in here at Bold and Vulnerable because we really value honesty and just being truthful to our audience. Being a working mom and entrepreneur, uh, you really want to have all the all the hacks possible at your at your fingertips. So I'm so freaking excited to be partnering with this company. Everyone that I've talked to who's tried it has been raving about how delicious it is. And we drink it during our podcast episodes and just to give us a jolt of energy. It has seven superfood mushrooms. So not only do you get the benefits and energy of your cordyceps, but you also get the healthy benefits of lion's mane. It gives you so much focus and immunity support. You also get this really nutrient rich product that elevates your focus and also elevates your gut. So it's almost like using a smart blend of quality chaga, reishi, shiitake, turkey tail, and your immune system just gets this daily boost of energy. And it also helps to alkalize the effects of coffee's natural acidities. Yeah, definitely. And what I really love about it is that they have a gold standard for their manufacturing, which I think is really important, which tells us that they have high standards, obviously, as do we here at Bold and Vulnerable. The benefits that you're receiving in one cup of coffee are just outstanding. It's kind of like an anti-inflammatory for your body, which is absolutely amazing. And not only that, it has a wonderful taste. So I think that's everything that people are looking for. Even people that don't drink coffee, I think will probably enjoy the taste of La Republica coffee. We have a discount code for you. It is all caps, VULNERABLE15. Head over to LaRepublicaSuperfoods.com and type in VULNERABLE15 when you check out you will receive a 15% discount on all of La Republica's mushroom coffee. Get yourself an amazing adaptogenic cup of coffee. Hey guys, it's Jessica. Welcome to the Bold and Vulnerable podcast. And today we have a really special episode because I am going to be interviewing 
our co-host Svetlana on something that is truly the most vulnerable that she has been in her entire life and that is her birth story. So for those of you who don't follow us closely, Svetlana just had her first little baby girl, Mia, and she is beautiful and we kind of just dive right into the wonderful, the uncomfortable, the vulnerable, the gritty, the beautiful piece of your life that is getting into motherhood. And I haven't experienced birthing children as of yet in my life. I have two lovely little stepdaughters, but this is just an experience that I was so happy to listen to and to learn from. And for all the new moms out there or moms-to-be or moms that have been forever and ever or grandmothers, this is a really beautiful story and everyone's story is so unique with birth. So I'm just really excited that we are sharing this and we actually recorded this episode quite some time ago and we've been kind of holding it off and holding it off, and we looked at ourselves in the mirror and said, we are the Bold and Vulnerable podcast. We have to air this. This is the most vulnerable that Svetlana has gotten on our show, and um, I ask her some tough questions. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and please let us know your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Bold and Vulnerable. Let's start out by just hearing about your birth story and specifically going maybe even chronologically like how you felt before you gave birth and then how you felt during and then what happened afterwards and then we can dive into specifics what your expectations were like what you what you were planning what you wanted yeah and how maybe that changed and how you had to shift. Totally. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so I loved being pregnant. I seriously, I, I even miss it now. I'm, I'm only seven weeks postpartum and I'm like, I miss being pregnant. Um, and my mom kept telling me that she had a 10 hour labor. So I was like, and, and total, so contractions, giving birth, everything was 10 hours for her. And this was in Russia. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a fast labor. <laughs> uh, and I just, that was my expectation, right? And uh, I was lying to myself, quite frankly, uh, because I kept telling people and I kept saying to people that I'm flexible. I have a really flexible plan. Who cares? It doesn't really matter what happens. But I really didn't have a flexible birth plan. I was so set on having a fast labor, um, not having an epidural. Uh, although I did say like I'm flexible to getting an epidural if if shit hits the fan. Uh, but you know, I just had all these sort of uh, things set up in my mind where it's like this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to give birth in Redwood City, which I did. Uh, I'm going to give I'm not going to give birth on the day that uh on the estimated due date which I didn't I actually gave birth a week earlier I was like set on giving birth to a Scorpio baby <laughs> cuz originally they told me she was due November 18th and they're like actually no the 25th so I gave um birth 2 weeks early and so we could just start with this basically I had a very healthy pregnancy. Um, And then at one point when I tested, uh, I tested for, they did the gestational diabetes test and I failed that test. And so I refused to take the follow-up test after that because I felt really, really sick from the drink that they gave me. And it was an insane amount of sugar. And I was just, I refused. I said, I'm not consuming this much sugar first thing in the morning. This is not my lifestyle. This is not how I live my life. I don't consume this much sugar. This is crazy. I'll monitor my own sugar. And I did. My sugar levels were good. They were within normal range. They were, um, every time I would test my, use the little glucose strips, I was like, early morning fasted sugar was like 75, 80. 
after one hour after a meal, it was like a hundred and then it would go down to 80. So my sugar was good. Granted, uh, when you're pregnant and you have all that, your hormones are shifting and everything, um, things are going to shift around and be different. Your body is, you know, your the placenta is, is working really hard. Your body's working really hard to maintain a, a life. So things could kind of like be a little wonky and they didn't like that. They didn't like that. I was not testing for, um, GD. Uh, they, my doctor was basically treating me like a high risk patient, even though she didn't have the actual data or evidence to back that up besides one failed test. Uh, but she was paranoid because at one point the baby started measuring a little bit bigger. Um, and so at that point, it just started, there was a lot of fear being induced. Um, and I was starting to feel more stressed than usual. And then at my 36 week checkup, I ended up having higher blood pressure than normal. So my normal range is like 120 over 80. And I think I measured like 135 over, uh, um, I think the bottom, the, the bottom one was 135 over maybe like 70 or 60. I'm not sure. Um, and so she immediately was like concerned and had me do a stress test and then was like, the baby's not responding to these uh, certain criteria that I have. And I was like, okay, she's sleeping. So she's not responding to this, to, uh, to this criteria, these boxes that you have, but she's sleeping. I know, I know her, like, this is not the time that she's an active baby. Um, and Western medicine really doesn't care about that. (laughs) They have a certain number of boxes that they need to check off. And I, I wasn't, passing those tests. So they sent me in for more follow-up monitoring. Uh, everything ended up being fine. Then they had me come in for another uh, checkup a week later and my BP was still high. So, and I had, I think, borderline protein levels in my urine, which was um, basically, they were afraid that I would, that I could potentially develop preeclampsia, which is very dangerous. So they were like, we need to induce you. Um, and it was still a pretty conservative, it was very conservative because my BP was not that high. It was, I think it ended up being in the 140s at that point, but they were paranoid that it could develop into something worse and you could potentially get a seizure, a stroke, all these symptoms. So I ended up getting induced on November. I, I came in, let me just look at the date. Let's see. November 14th, they were like, we need to induce you. I came in at around like 11 o'clock that night and they started the induction process early morning on the 15th. And (laughs) so we'll just go chronologically. I wrote all this down too. So let's, let's remember the fact that I had this whole idea in my head that I would have a flexible birth plan, that I was flexible and um, whatever happens happens, but not really. I was, I was really deep down impatient and I had an idea of how long I wanted this to go. And I, let's just put it this way. Um, (laughs) the God, the universe gives you what you need, not what you want. And, um, this was a really big, 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 big lesson for me. So the first thing that they do when, when you get induced is, um, and I'm not sure if it's different for every hospital, but the first thing they did for me was they gave me a pill that's called misoprostol, misoprostol. I don't even, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it starts with an M and it's called misoprostol. And um, what it does is it starts to bring out contractions. Um, so my contra- I started having contractions. So I think they gave me a couple doses there. They were doing it like every few hours. And so I started having contractions. Um, they weren't lasting long and then they were getting really strong, but they wouldn't last. And then they would just stop. So then they were like, okay, we need to stop giving this pill. We need to go to the next step. So there's all these steps that you go through. Right. And, and when you, when you start to have any sort of medical intervention, when you're pregnant, 
it's it's like a domino effect. It's like it's like the interventions don't stop at that point. And I'd heard this before. And deep down, that was actually a really big fear of mine. My biggest fear was a C-section. And because I was so afraid of it, that's what happened. Um, because my biggest, my biggest fear and my biggest away, f- like things that I run from, that I've run from my whole life is pain. I'm terrified of physical pain. I've always been terrified of physical pain. Um, and so the second step was after like, I think this was going on for like hours. Um, and I don't even remember like chronologically because I just remember the events, but I have it written down where it's like day two, they did, um, the fall, it's called a folly bulb induction. So it's basically they stick a balloon up your cervix and it's supposed to widen your cervix. And what they want to happen is for your cervix to start to open up and ripen up more because I still wasn't, um, my cervix still wasn't ripe enough yet. I was considered early. I was 38 weeks. So they were like, the bulb needs to fall out on its own. And if it doesn't after 12 hours, then we're going to take it out. So I had that put in and I refused any pain meds. They were offering me fentanyl. And I said, no, it's really painful to put that in. Um, I did it and it fell out within four or five hours and I was super happy. I went to go pee. It fell out. I was like, oh yes, that means my cervix dilated. Um, And when they came in to check on me, they were like, yeah, it's dilated to, I believe five centimeters. Um, But it's, it's a false, it's a, it's a false dilation. It's not really real because it's, it's all being medically intervened. So, um, in reality, I probably wasn't even that dilated. Um, and so after that, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't progressing still. And this was like day two. Um, so then they're like, okay, we want to start you on Pitocin (laughs) and Pitocin, man, I'll tell you, like, I, I I wish never, I wish no one ever has has to go through like taking Pitocin unless you're like already dilated. I understand like women that are like late and they're, you know, four centimeters dilated or five or like even five or whatever. And they need a little booster. I, I heard from several birth stories that like, you know, sometimes they do that and it helps and it speeds up the labor and you, you give birth naturally. But usually when it's, when there's interventions and when you're using Pitocin, it's, it, it turns into, it can turn into a whole big fiasco. So what is Pitocin? Can you say yeah, what, yeah. It is, what it does? Yeah. So Pitocin is a, um, so it's a drug that they give you and they, they give it to you through an IV. And what it does is it's supposed to bring out your contractions, right? So they start very conservatively. They started with a pill that didn't really work. They did the bulb that didn't really do much. Then they do Pitocin. And Pitocin is supposed to give you these contractions, but they're false. Again, they're not re- they're not the naturally occurring contractions that a woman that goes into labor naturally has. So they're so much stronger. They're so much stronger than what than what would be like the natural waves of labor, which is like when you're in labor, it's like you're you're going through through the you're going through the waves, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like you're um thinking of a metaphor for it it's sort of like you're on a bumpy ride right and sometimes that ride is like when you're on an airplane right and it's smooth smooth and then you start to hit a lot of turbulence right and it's consistent that's that's kind of like how labor is it's like you know it's smooth smooth turbulence turbulence and really strong turbulence and then and then you're smooth again and then it just continues that way for a while if there's really strong turbulence right I'm, if that's I'm, I hope that was a good good enough metaphor for people that are listening to that are listening to this episode or women that have experienced labor know what I'm talking about. But what Pitocin does is it it just makes it so much stronger. It's way more intense. It's just very unnatural. So, um, you know, they just kept upping it because I was getting I wasn't really getting it. Then I was getting it, and then it, it was really it was I was feeling it, and then it was going down. So it's like 
my, my cervix, my body was sort of like in resistance because it wasn't really time. And they kept upping it. So they kept upping the dose of Pitocin um, and they, they took it to the max. So there's a number, there's a certain threshold you can, you can hit 20 and the most that they can do is 30. So I like, for me, it was like, they took it all the way up to 30 and my contractions at one point, like when it started to hit me, when I was like, actually like when I started to go into labor, um, it was like 14 hours or 15 hours of just like, it was just going and going. And I was like riding those waves. Like I would get a contraction. I would breathe through it, moan, yell. Like I wouldn't even yell, but I was just, you know, making sounds, um, the most primal sounds you can imagine. And then, um, and then it would stop and then it would come again, but it was so intense that when my doula friend came, she thought that I was in transition and in labor when you're in transition, that's when you're like already at like eight centimeters and like, you're going to push soon. So she was like, the way that I was responding was like, you're almost there. Right. So I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And so when they came to check on me, um, after like just laboring and laboring, they were like, yeah, you're 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 five centimeters and when I heard that I was just like are you kidding me like I was just like this is a joke right like I was so exhausted at that point that I'm just like I I can't like this was I believe already um yeah this was day this was like the third day already so I was in labor for a total of 72 hours and um I was just like I I can't like and they're like we want to break your water and I was like, I can't handle any more interventions. Like I need, I give, give me an epidural. Like I'm done. And cause they wanted to break my water first and then give me an epidural. And I said, no, I don't, I can't feel, this is so painful. Um, so they came in and they gave me an epidural. Then they, uh, right after they gave the epidural, they came in and broke my water. Um, okay. Well walk us through that. So walk us through the epidural, like did that hurt? What's it like? You know what I mean? Like walk, walk. Cause there might be some people on here, myself included, not a mother yet. Like, what is that? Yeah. And, and walk us through what it, like what it took to say, yes, I need that. Yeah. Well it took, I felt defeated, honestly, like when they were like your five centimeters and I was like, what? And like, I just had this like look of like defeat. If you look at my, if you ask my, my friend and, and my boyfriend, um, I just was like, I just got, I had this moment of like, wow, you know, this really like, is this going to end? And then I, I, I actually started laughing too because, and they were like, oh, she has hospital delirium <laughs> because I was like, what else, what more can you do? Um, and I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I need an epidural. Like at that point I was just like, I can't, I'm, I was so exhausted that I was like, I can't keep going. Um, I just, I couldn't keep going any longer. I was like, I need a break. And I knew that the epidural would resolve, um, that amount of tension and, and help me like rest a little bit because I hadn't rest. I, I had no rest for like, over 50 hours at that point it was like 60 hours like no rest like there was no sleep because they're constantly coming in and checking on you and um I was completely and utterly exhausted and running on no sleep and barely any food so I was like I I want an epidural and so the anesthesiologist came and what an epidural is is it's a shot I didn't see it I didn't look at the needle or anything um but it's something it's a shot that they they put in your back um, and honestly, I don't even remember the pain anymore. So this is the interesting thing, um, with events, right. With things that happen in our lives is like throughout this whole experience, I was so afraid of the pain. I don't remember the pain. Like I remember that it was painful, but I can't actually, uh, reenact that pain for myself right now again, because it's, it's just gone. It's just the, I remember the event, but the pain, I don't remember. I know that it was, it was, for some women, it could be very painful. I think at that point, I was just so over it that I was like, whatever, it didn't matter. It was a, it was a very, it was a uncomfortable feeling for me. And 
you know, what I learned through this experience, if anything, is that I have a very high threshold for pain. And I did not even, I didn't realize how high it was. I, I knew, and George had told me, like, how he's always known that I had a high threshold for pain and that I'm usually more bothered by little things like tiny cuts on my hands and stuff. But the bigger things I've always, like, taken really, really well. So I don't, you know, it was, it was just an, it was an uncomfortable feeling to have something put into your spine and it felt like you you kind of have to bend forward and and sit really straight not straight but you have to bend in a certain way so that they that they get a certain point otherwise i think they have to redo it and i had a really good anesthesiologist she got it with with one shot and that was it like she put it in and within like minutes um the contractions i subsided i wasn't really feeling them anymore um, and I did a, a small dose. So at that point, I was able to to rest. Um, I was able to to like relax a little bit and and just lay there and and chill out. And I ended up progressing really fast after that. So I dilated to eight or nine centimeters within like two hours because I was able to rest. So one of the things that I recommend is, you know, I know there's some women that are so set on a natural birth, but sometimes that epidural really helps. And I feel like maybe if I would have done it earlier, I would have been able to push and actually deliver naturally. But because I was just going and going for like 15 hours, I was just, I was done. I was exhausted. So I, um, at that point I was able to rest. And when they, when they came and they broke my water, uh, one of the things that they found was that the baby had pooed. So she passed meconium. Meconium is when a baby poos in the womb. And that's not something that's that happens, but it's, it's not, uh, they said it's common, but it's best that it doesn't happen, obviously. Uh, because there are different risk factors with that. Um, I ended up developing an infection because I was in labor for so long and because she pooed. Um, and I ended up having a fever. And uh, my BP actually ended up being really high because of the pain and everything that was going on. I think it was like 160 at that point. Um, and so they had to give me medication to bring my blood pressure down. And then they had to give me antibiotics. And then that's when they came in and after like two, three hours of pushing, I was not progressing. And at that point, because they had maxed out my pito the Pitocin that they were giving me, I was, the that epidural was wearing off. <laughs> like I, I actually kept pressing the button because it was like, oh my God, I can feel the contractions. They're so strong. Um, I can't really feel my legs. Like I can feel them, but like the contractions were so strong that I, I couldn't even like, I, I felt like I needed to push. Cause that's, that's how it feels like when you have a contraction, you feel like you have to push when you're like fully dilated. It's like, you just want to push and get the baby out. And, um, but I was so tired and I just wasn't really progressing. Like she kept moving in and out of the birth canal. Um, that at like around like the two and a half hour mark, they were just like, I could tell when I looked at the midwife that she kind of like given up, she left the room and then the OB came in and they were just like, you know, we need to consider like what's happening. And they were really sweet. The nurses were amazing. They were like rooting for me. Um, they were just like, come on, push, you've got this. And I tried and I, I really, I, I did everything I could. And at that point I was just like, I'm done. Like I remember when they came in, I was just like, yeah, it's C-section time. And, um, and then I remember like, when they left, I had like a moment and my mom came in and she was like crying. She's like, just please just do it. Like, I can't watch you suffer like this anymore. Like, um, just, just let them do it. It's, you'll be fine. Like, and I, I remember I like, I, I had like a bald my eyes out like a baby right before, because I was just like, yeah, I felt very like, um, it's, it's this feeling of like, I just felt like, such a failure and like 
I had some, like, I was terrified. I felt like a failure. Um, I just, I felt like super defeated. I was like, I really like, I was in my, made me feel like a victim. Like, and that's really, that's where I was at. Um, and so, I mean, then they, you know, they, they wheeled me off and they brought me into the room and, um, I was shaking so bad because of the medication. Like I could uncontrollably shaking, like there was nothing I could do to stop the shaking. It was also like fear and anxiety and just the medication that they gave me for the numbing for, to numb the area. Um, and I mean, yeah, you don't feel anything. And then within like minutes, the baby's out and, you know, I didn't get to have that experience that, um, that moms get when you get instant skin to skin and you have that instant release of oxytocin because the minute she was born, they showed her to me, she cried and they took her right away because, um, they needed to check her to make sure that she, um, to make, to, to clear her like mouth out because she'd passed meconium. They needed to make sure that she didn't inhale it. Um, so they were working on her right away. They cut the umbilical cord. So basically my whole plan, which was don't cut, don't clamp the umbilical cord, all this stuff, leave it on as long as possible, like went out the door because they had to clamp it. I didn't get to save my placenta. I had a plan of saving my placenta and eating it. My placenta was compromised because of the infection. Um, so they took it and obviously they examined it and threw it away because it was green. <laughs> Um, cause meconium is green. People that don't know, it's like baby poop, like the first poop a baby takes. Um, and she pooed like right on the scale. Uh, so that was, that was it. And it, the craziest thing is like, you know, you're going through all this and like, after I, you know, I saw her, it was like, I just instantly was, I had this, this sense of like, it's, you know, it's over like, oh my God. Like it's, I didn't have that, like I said, that feeling of like, oh my God, like this crazy, like oxytocin relief release. Cause I was so, so exhausted. But the most beautiful thing was like looking back at my partner and I looked at his face and that's like this image that I will forever hold in my mind is like, he was, had the biggest smile on his face and he was just crying. Like when he saw her, they pulled her out and he just had like tears just like streaming down his face and just this like smile and like, um, he walked over right away to be with her, um, with the pediatrician as they like cleaned her up and, um, they didn't clean her body. They kept all the, uh, I believe it's called vernix. Um, all, all of the stuff that she, all the white, the white layer that she had on herself in the womb. They just cleaned her mouth out to make sure that she didn't, um, inhale any of the meconium. Um, and then he came over to me and I got like a few minutes of skin to skin. And then when they wheeled me back in the room, I got to like that she was with me the whole time uh, because she was perfectly fine. And the craziest thing too is that when we had a moment to like to ourselves and George told me how when he walked over to the side to be with her um, from that angle, you could see everything that they were doing on the operating table. So he saw everything like guts, intestines, like all of that clean them cleaning my uterus he saw the green stuff I mean it was gnarly <laughs> and I was just like oh my god that is pretty traumatic <laughs> so yeah that's the whole chronological part I know of I'd be interested to like almost have George come on and say from his perspective what <laughs> the fuck <laughs> just yeah. happened you know? yeah because it's so different for a man to go through th what they see, like, oh my God, totally, totally different than what a woman goes through. Not the same at all, but it just be, would be interesting to have that perspective to say like, oh my God, what was going through his mind? But I mean, so I, thank you for sharing all of that, first of all. And secondly, the, the plan didn't go according to plan. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of our first podcast episode together when Paige Goss was on and she said, nothing ever starts without a plan and nothing ever goes to plan. And you had a plan and some of it came to fruition, right? 
And a lot of that's like mindfulness. And a lot of that is having goals, having things that you want to happen, right? But then the second piece of it is how can you pivot when something doesn't go the way that you want it to go? Because maybe there's some people out there that have had a perfect birthing scenario, but I'm sure that if you dive into every single person's story, there's maybe one thing that they didn't love about their story, but then learned to love because that's part of their journey. So thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, how crazy of a journey, even down to the fact that like everything was almost like out of your control. So like, how did that make you feel? Uh, It was like total surrender. Like I had to completely surrender to everything because I was trying so hard to control uh, the outcome that I, it was like I was being pushed and tested to completely just like surrender to everything. I just had to let go. It was like this whole process of like just surrendering and I mean, at that moment, I felt like really helpless, like so helpless and vulnerable because my partner had seen me in a, the most, in a state of like complete vulnerability, like all, all walls were completely down. Like any, any wall I could have ever had that I was unconscious of was just like down. Um, and I was, I just had to completely, um, I just had to completely surrender to whatever was going to happen. And it was a very, like, it was a, it was a very, yeah, it was a very heart opening experience in, in one aspect because I was just so grateful for, for his support and like him just being there for me and taking care of me and just being like this rock because the whole time it's like, he felt helpless because there's nothing he could do. So yeah, the, the whole process was just like total surrender. Mm. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the vulnerability, just like sharing that experience with another person and the way that you said it, it almost felt like nobody else was in the room. You know, nobody else was there. Like, yeah, there's people taking care of you. Yeah. There's people taking care of the baby, but you had this, moment with that person who's seen you at this vulnerable state and I mean how how much closer are you now with him just because of that yeah I mean we're so much closer we it I mean it's just like a whole different level of I think this is all of this is part of like the whole laboring thing is like because of the c-section and the antibiotics um it it messed with my gut so mm-hmm. you're just so much more vulnerable and prone to like getting a yeast infection or a UTI and and different things can can happen with uh your immune system where you're just completely like you're literally like cut open <laughs> and people are poking and prodding you and doing all these things to you medically and you know I had to have a catheter put in twice because after that epidural my bladder was still kind of asleep. So I I didn't pee. So they had to put a catheter in again. And I was like really upset about that. And um, I had to do that. And it was just like, that was another like painful thing. It's painful to have a catheter put in. And, you know, George watched all of this. So it's a complete vulnerability to like, like between me and my significant other. And it's, and it's brought us, I think the question that you asked was, you know, how much closer are we? We're so much closer. He's my best friend. He's my rock. And, you know, after the whole experience, I mean, I was, I had symptoms of PTSD and, you know, cause I was like going to, every time I'd go to bed after I was like having just like flashbacks of um, the, the room during the C-section. And I was just crying like every day. And like, I had a moment at the hospital where I just like the second or third day when I had like a moment to just lay down and it finally hit me like what the fuck just happened i like i i screamed so loud i don't know how the baby didn't wake up i was wailing and he laid down in bed with me well he was he laid down in bed with me first and was just like just let it out he's like just just let it out and i just like i let it out <laughs> and he held me because i like i i had 
no moment to even really like it's like I wasn't in my body the whole experience it's like I wasn't even in my body I was just like watching all of this happen while it was happening and then when I came back into my body it was like what the fuck just happened and he just held me and he's continued to hold me and I mean like after this whole situation I've just been like kiss his hands every night before bed just like because I was so grateful for his support and him being there I mean it just makes me think of all the people that go through this alone like single moms out there that just like don't have a rock and it's maybe all internalized and maybe hopefully they can find a way to let it out or find somebody that they can lean on for support yeah what was the most challenging part of it I mean because I know that you you mentioned pain and then you mentioned the the fear of pain but then that might not have even been a thing because you found out through that that you actually have a high pain tolerance and you Mm -hmm. were you know going through pain for hours and hours and hours and then finally we're like okay yeah this is my breaking point but there were so many hours before that where you were just sitting in pain right so like that probably wasn't the most challenging part for you like what was the most challenging for you like what was the most challenging part of your pregnancy and it could have just been like leaving the hospital staying there so long um well you know I was starting to go crazy just being at the hospital for so many hours (laughs) and I was having it was challenging to like be able to like really rest and recover there and to like bond with my baby because I was just so out of it and I was just so confused and like my milk wasn't coming in and I just I just kept I think I like kept feeling like I'm just fucking failing at everything like my my state of mind was not a good state of mind I think what what was most challenging actually was the fact that I was not in a good state of mind at all like all my work self-development work it's like I was just I wasn't using it (laughs) because I was in such a it was it was so raw that like I was not in a good state of mind and I was also very defensive afterwards I was defensive with family with people that wanted to help I just I wanted to get away from everybody because I was I was like I think I was just so like um I just had just felt like I'd been put through the ringer and like I just felt like I needed space yeah you didn't get time to recharge yeah I wonder why the defensiveness came up for you in that moment because it's it's just so, I mean, first of all, we are self-development people. You and I love improving. We love finding ways to better ourselves, biohacks, whatever it is, but we put in the work and it's almost refreshing to hear you say that you weren't able to be in that right mindset because nobody is perfect and everyone has moments and you can practice and practice and practice. And like, sometimes you just get put through the ringer, like you mentioned, and you can't pull yourself out all the time. And maybe that's where that defensiveness came up, not being able to receive the help, needing the space, needing to recharge the batteries, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's just so refreshing to hear the authenticity behind what you're saying and and I think it's going to be refreshing for the listeners to hear a story like this when they're probably scrolling through Instagram and seeing like brand new moms with their babies and like everyone popping right back to two pounds and you know this stigma of yeah let's bounce right back let's do this and not giving the body the time that it needs to heal from the mother's end especially after going through a c-section I think it's going to be refreshing just your authenticity through through your birth story so thank you for sharing that thank you yeah definitely I mean it's it's definitely um it was definitely very difficult to be in a in a good state of mind and you know what the defensiveness what you brought up like why that came up I feel like it was because I think my nervous system was still kind of shocked going through the the like a shock wave and I had just been like poked and prodded for six days and just and I had just come home and everybody was wanting to see the baby already and come over and I just felt like I needed a break and it felt 
even though everyone meant well, I still felt like I was being cornered in and attacked in some way. That's just how I felt at that moment. And I felt like people weren't being like super understanding and compassionate of, of my needs of needing to rest and needing to bond with my baby because everybody in some way it's like selfishly just wants to see the baby right away, not understanding that like what had just happened. Like they understand, but not really, you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I was one of your friends who like completely left you alone. Mm -hmm. I was feeling your energy from afar and knew what, what was kind of going down, not fully, but I was feeling your energy and I was like, she needs her space. And so I remember texting you a few times and reaching out, but nothing to the point of I'm going to bug her, you know, because I was feeling like you needed that space. And then it was, it was strange because right before we connected for the first time, I had a few thoughts of, oh my God, like maybe I should have been overly reaching out. Maybe I should have been calling. Maybe I should have done this or that. And I was second guessing that energy that I felt. And then now talking to you just through your birth story and other conversations that we've had, it's almost like this confirmation of trust your gut. You did the right thing. She, she, her energy was saying, I need to rest. I need to sleep. Like let her sleep. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like tiptoeing even around like the time. I was like, Oh my God, should I text her right now? Maybe not. Maybe so. Cause I just didn't want to like muster with your energy. And I think just kind of one of those things where I, you know, we were talking about it in our conversation with Kelly Juarez on, on her episode as well. And it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, the mom needs to heal. It's not always all about the baby and it is all about the baby, but sometimes the mom needs to heal. And I just remember that conversation we were talking about how in other cultures and in other times women would you know, rally around each other to help raise and to help with this experience. But in our culture, we're very much so single family households. There's no like communities that are popular. So it's one of those things where like you do feel that sense of aloneness and you were feeling it in a different way, I think. But it was just reminding me of that conversation that we had with Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, Honestly, if you would have reached out, I wouldn't have been defensive at that time or upset with you. I felt more defensive with family, honestly, less so with Mm. friends. It was more Mm. so with family. Um, And that was because they were, I felt like they were physically invading my space. Whereas like friends that were just calling to check in on me felt way better and that were Mm. just you know, my, my best friends that were just like, is it okay if I just want to stop by and drop this off and help you do this? And family was doing that too, but they were a little bit more crazy. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> In your yeah, no, it makes yeah. total sense. And, and we have different expectations for our family too. So it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. Um, so what else did we touch on? Everything you wanted to touch on? Or is there any other like tidbits that you wanted to add to it? Um, (laughs) yeah, really be flexible, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. really be flexible because when I say I lied to myself, (laughs) when I said that I was flexible, I lied to myself and everyone around me. I was not flexible. I had some hard agenda in my head and I was pretending to be flexible and I wasn't. Because I had a whole freaking plan. I knew the outcome and I had a plan of how it was going to go down. And the universe was like, all right, bitch, I'm going to show you something different. <laughs> I'm going to take you through the ringer. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to go through this and you're going you're gonna to really feel it. And I mean, I feel like it sh- like if anything, like the biggest lesson from all of this was like it showed me how fucking strong I am. Like I'm like I know I'm a badass, strong woman. And really, at this point, nothing phases me. Like, nothing can phase me like this. Starting a business, that's easy compared to this. <laughs> Running, you know, 
talking to people, like all these mental pains that we create, really the pain, the worst pain, I mean, physical pain is painful, but the mental pain that we create in our minds with the stories that we tell ourselves of why we can't do something is so much worse. Talk about a, like a bold outcome to a vulnerable situation. I mean, no, no pun intended there. I mean, literally (laughs) like you've like the outcome is you feel like a strong, badass human being and that's so empowering and I think it's important to know that that's what came out of it it wasn't the pain it wasn't the you know the plan not going your way it was hey I'm I'm strong I'm a badass and nothing is going to phase me now and on the other side of it you have this beautiful daughter and yeah that's that's the other beauty of it right like the other the most beautiful thing that came from all of this is like this amazing little queen princess that I love so much that it was like all of this was worth it and I feel like on some deeper level honestly like when I say like um, I was petrified of a c-section on some deeper level I almost feel like I was telling myself some sort of story that I need to go through something traumatic because this was traumatic. I don't, you know, everybody has different traumas in their life. This was a traumatic experience. And I felt, and I feel like on some sort of deeper level, I was almost like telling myself that I needed to have that like, oh, I'm not good enough if I don't have some sort of like crazy story or whatever. Right. Like, even though you, I, I say like, you really don't need to have some sort of crazy traumatic event to be like worthy of, of telling a story or of being an inspirational um, figure you don't have to have some sort of trauma. You can just be a freaking light, right? And I almost feel like maybe this was some sort of subconscious thing of like, oh, you got to have some sort of trauma. And now I'm just like, you really don't fucking need that. Like, that's so unnecessary. Unless unless you really want that and you want to bring that, in, call that in, fine. But um, it's not necessary. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I loved hearing more deeply about your story. I didn't know all the ins and outs of everything that went down and so it's just fun to hear all the details and I appreciate you wanting to share this on the podcast and being willing to share this on the podcast because I think it's going to help a lot of the people that want to be moms I think it will help moms currently in terms of mindset and I think that it will help people that maybe don't ever want to be moms (laughs) so I think there's there's all these all these women and men that that your story can touch. So thank you so much for sharing. And I can't wait for this episode to air. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for recording me and for listening to the story and for listening to this, these super vulnerable moments of my life. And um, I really appreciate, you know, anybody listening to this and the audience, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to the Bold and Vulnerable podcast. For more information on today's speaker, please visit us at boldandvulnerablepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Let's keep spreading the love by being bold and vulnerable. Thank you. We love you.